Welcome back to the Vets Based Ireland podcast with your hosts, myself, Michelle McGuire. And I'm Hazel Mullen. We are back with another Clinical Bites episode. And these episodes, as you know, are only for veterinary professionals. So by continuing to listen, you are agreeing that you are indeed a veterinary professional. And if you are a veterinary professional, then you're in for a treat because this is part two of the Clinical Bites Injectable Trace Minerals series. Um, with Patrick O'Neill and Patrick has brought along Craig Lauder all the way from the US to talk to us today all about pre-breeding mineral use. So enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Best Face Ireland podcast. We have round two um, of our pre-breeding multi-min associated podcast and we have our fabulous guests um, Patrick O'Neill and Craig Lauder. And so Craig is joining us all the way from Idaho in the US. And um, so hello, Craig, and maybe introduce yourself. I know anyone that listened to the other podcast, part one, Patrick, you're probably well known by now, but uh, Craig, give us a rundown of who you are and your uh, veterinary journey so far. It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to be joining you guys today, like you say, all the way from the other side of the world here in in Idaho in the Western part of the United States. I graduated from vet school back in 2012. I've been out for almost 10 years now. I was in private practice for, for about nine and a half years before I took a full-time position as a technical service veterinarian with Multimin last fall. In practice, I practiced uh, right here in Southern Idaho where we have one of the larger uh, pockets of, of dairy cattle uh, anywhere in the United States. My typical herd was uh, probably averaged about 3,000 milking cows. The smallest ones were Uh, just over 200. And I had a couple of dairies that were milking over 10,000 cows in a single location. And so I was able to to have a a wide range of of experiences there as far as herd size go and and experiences and whatnot. Uh, I became involved with multi-men actually while I was in vet school, ran a a trial on on dairy hutch calves, where we were looking at the the effects of of the multi-men compared to another injectable source of selenium. Uh, that, that was my first introduction to the product. And as I became more involved in, in practice and, and learned a little bit more about the, the importance of trace minerals, it, it really became, a, I guess, a, a point of interest towards me as far as understanding more about the role of these trace minerals in, in reproduction and in the immune system, how, how they play in keeping these animals healthy and, and being able to move on that way to where it helped me to focus instead of just bugs and drugs, but also why is it these animals aren't responding the way that we want them to be? What is it that they're missing that's not allowing them to reach their full potential? And so, so I'm excited about being able to discuss this with you guys this morning and, and looking forward to a great discussion. Sounds great, Craig. Um, and yeah, I always, you know, trying to picture now like the, the plains of Idaho and all the cows and just your general like day-to-day life over there. It's, uh, it's fascinating, like 10,000 cows in one, in one place um it's just it's just compared you know obviously we do have quite large farms in Ireland as well but it's nearly a different scale it's um yeah so it's great to get an insight so Patrick how are things with you things are very good very good uh very very busy getting a lot of calls from vets and from farmers asking about what is this magic injection that I give my cows in the pre-breeding time? How does it work? 
So, yeah, it's um, it's a busy time for everybody between vets in practice and for farmers like um, Craig talking about the, the scale of the operation in the U.S., the one thing they have in the US is uh, a nice system of block calving of year round of, you know, uh, a nice, uh, although a bigger number, it's kind of more spread out in terms of work. Whereas in Ireland, you know, the spring is just the spring. It's a crazy mm-hmm. time for vets and crazy time for farmers and anyone working in agriculture. Uh, and we're trying to get all our cows calved nice and conveniently within six weeks and then back in calf as quick as we can. So it's it's just busy for everybody working in the industry so um i'm i'm myself i'm feeling a lot of calls and doing a lot of farm visits and practice visits just discussing like how can we can, and it can help getting cows back in calf for vets and farmers particularly looking at the whole area of well is there a bit of subclinical deficiency going on in some of these herds post calving so uh yeah it's it's a very very busy time so it's good to be out and about again anyway with the pandemic tailing off a little bit so that's great so i suppose let's jump straight into it and patrick maybe start with telling us where we are right now in ireland as regards the breeding season has it kicked off yet for some people or are we just about to kick off or where are we well we're recording this in the first week in april so we're just about to really get up and running so uh i have the icbf data in front of me here and supposedly in 2019, we had 65% of the national herd calving within a six-week race, say. And in 2020, it was 65, and then 2021, it was 67%. So we're kind of a little bit below where we were, or where we should be, uh, below our target, obviously. But we're getting better, it seems. Um the average interval for dairy cattle between calving is 380 days as of, or sorry, 388 days as of last year. So this whole idea of one calf per year, as well as a kind of level of efficiency, we're a little bit off where we should be as well. So we're getting better. Um, if you look at like other countries in Europe, they really put a lot of pressure in terms of breeding dairy cattle for output particularly when the milk quotas went, you know, and we did maybe defer that way a little bit ourselves in Ireland, but we've done a great job with, uh, with our EBI and our ICBF to make sure that we had fertility as the kind of major, major thing uh, to drive our dairy industry because cows back in calf as quickly as can, that is the, the driver of, of, of income. I know we mentioned it before we started recording there. Um, Craig might be able to give you the US figures, but Chagas are telling us that if you have a cow open outside that 66 week window, it's costing a farmer around three euro per day per open cow uh, in terms of lost efficiency. Um, and I suppose here we are with the war going on in Ukraine, all anyone can talk about is food supply and feed efficiency. And we know that basically our cost for producing everything is going to be going up this year. So if we're having inefficiency in our breeding, we're spending more per day feeding open cows uh, with feed that is going to be getting ever more expensive as the year goes on. So the key to keeping our costs down is going to be driving those efficiencies. So I don't know, is it a similar situation for you guys with keeping the costs down this year, Craig, or what's going on? Absolutely. You know, you mentioned the war in Ukraine and the impact that has on, on a lot of our input costs. 
one of those big input costs is, is obviously fertilizer, which, which is required for, for feed production. And so, so being able to, to maintain those cows at a at peak production and being able to keep those cows uh, rolling as far as feed efficiency is going to be critical because our, all of a sudden with the increase in our, in our input costs as far as feed, that's really going to tighten up that income over feed ratio. And, and we've got to be able to make sure that those cows are, are producing to be able to, to pay for themselves. So all of a sudden a break-even point over here may raise from say uh, 50 pounds of milk being produced in order to, to satisfy that, that daily cost to 55 or 58. And so when we're looking at, at increases in, in corn, increases in hay, uh, I mentioned before we started recording that, that this part of the country where I'm at is also dealing with a lot of drought. And mm-hmm. so that's going to put more stress on, on crop production and whatnot. And so, so being able to make sure that those cows are, are getting back, like you say, into calf, being able to, to stay towards that front end of lactation curve is going to be critical to be able to make sure that we're still getting the production that we need to be able to stay above that break-even point when it comes to the economics. Okay, so it's challenges all around. Yeah, it's, it's Ukraine, the Ukrainian situation seems to be affecting just everyone in every industry and fertilizer you mentioned, Craig, is definitely a big issue over here as well. It's all I see in the, in the news media, um, one of the challenges for farmers. So how does the, the systems differ then um, to other production systems, like our system to, in comparison to yours in the States, Craig? One of the biggest things, like uh, Patrick mentioned, is in Ireland, it's, it's very much a pastoral-based system. And so we're trying to base as much of it as we can off of the, the growing season of those pastures. And so as a result, we're trying to focus on getting those, those cows to calves within that six-week period so that everything is, is ready to to hit pasture as soon as pasture is ready and, and getting that feed there. Over here in the United States, we're much more of a confinement-based operation. And so uh, instead of turning cows out to, to harvest their own feed, to be able to, to save on those costs, we're going out and harvesting all that with machinery and then bringing it in and delivering the feed right there in the corrals. And so it, it does add another cost. It allows us to, to have a little bit more uh, I guess, ability to be able to have these dairies in, in locations where perhaps normally we wouldn't be able to have these large dairies. It would, with the areas where we're, where I'm at right now, it would be difficult to have 10,000 cows out on pasture and, and to be able to get them in and, and milked if that was the, the system that we had. And so it, it allows us to have more flexibility, but again, it, it adds more cost there. And so it, it becomes more important to be able to make sure that we are getting those those supplements into the cows, making sure that those rations are, are formulated correctly versus simply allowing those cows to go out and get the grass that they would normally do in a, in a pastoral based system. All of your, all of your dairy farmer listeners, as soon as Craig is talking about 10,000 cows on pasture, uh, the dairy farming listeners I know are just thinking to themselves, God, that's a lot of roadways that have to put through fields. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of ditches and <laughs> That's I'd right. Really, I, I'd really want a grant for that. A very big grant for that. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got organic areas. That, so the organic system over here does require pasture and, and I've had organic areas that are three to 5,000 cows. And so some of those cows are, are trailing a couple miles a day just to be able to get out to their pastures. And, and it, it's a sight to see a, a lineup of, of black and white dairy cows stretching on for, for a quarter mile as they're headed out to pasture. But, but there, there are some people that do that, but it is, 
it is a challenge. So I can just imagine like what Patrick said, you guys trying to think of all the roadways and ditches and everything else to try and get through with that many cows. Yeah. But I just, I just think it like at this scale of that dairy farming, like I remember working in practice in, on some big farms as the kind of same size of farms. I know Hazel and Michelle are, are talking about like your three or four or 500 head of cattle. I remember working on farms in, in Limerick and Tip. And if a farmer had a bad year and he wasn't getting his cows back in calf and like guys would really be under, they'd be under savage pressure and it'd really be affecting them like mentally. They'd be cracking up a little bit, but God, I like, I just think of, if you had a fertility problem on, 3,000 head of cattle or four to some of these big mega herds like the stress of that must be unbelievable like I know I have 50 cows at home and the stress is massive or 55 and it's massive and um, I'm I'm there kind of thinking of my pre-breeding mineral supplements at the moment and I'm like you're I'm surprised you haven't got a phone call from me yet Patrick um like "Ah." on hand if needed on hand if needed it's all I'd say yeah and so like I suppose pre-breeding minerals are, it's, it's always something, well, I've grown up with in, on, on a dairy farm. And why is it that cows need all these minerals, you know, need to be sufficient in minerals prior to breeding? Mm. Is it ovulation? You know, is it um, attachment of the uterus? All this kind of thing. So, so I, like the thing about trace minerals are they're involved in so many different body functions. Like if cattle are in poor mineral levels around the time of calving, you could see higher cell counts. Traditionally cattle that are low in selenium, one of the major hallmarks you'll see is retained placentas or retained membranes, as we might say. So, and then on the fertility side if cattle are low in copper, you might see a failure to actually display heat Again, if you're low on manganese, you might see failure in ovulation. So it's a variety of different body functions. But the key is at this time of year, if cattle are in poor mineral levels, you will not get this reproductive efficiency that is the key prop driver on Irish dairy farms. So the whole issue is the fact that calving is such an energy intensive and mineral intensive process. So coming up to calving, your cow is going to have about a 30 to 40% fall in dry matter intake levels just coming up to calving at the same time that unborn calf is going to be sucking all the minerals across the placenta from the dam so you're going to see about a 50% increase in the weight of the calf in that last trimester all of that mineral for growth is coming from the dam so this is how that like farmers are always being told yes you need to feed oral nutrition particularly trace minerals coming up to calving but this is why the injection has worked so well, because you can only get cattle to eat and absorb so much of a mineral. Uh, and likewise, there's such an increased demand for minerals. And the other thing going on in the background uh, is, of course, antagonism. Uh, so you've got other minerals binding each other up. And I suppose, Craig, you're probably more experienced with this side. You'd be able to talk about it more. Yeah. So, you know, just to reemphasize a little bit about what you said there, though. You know, you talk about how many different systems there there are that require minerals, and and generally as vets, as producers, we want to try and and segment that down to where we're talking about the reproductive system, or we're talking about the immune system, or we're talking about the the musculoskeletal system. But in reality, the cow doesn't work that way. She works as a single unit, and she's not going to say, "Well, we're 
today we're focused on our reproduction. So that's where we're going to send all of our minerals that that cow still has a requirement for her immune system to work. And really, if there's any one part of those different systems that doesn't have what it needs, it really starts to interfere with, with the other systems. And so we start to look at the immune system. Well, say our immune system's not functioning at the time that we give it or doesn't have the proper trace minerals at the time that we give it a, a vaccine. Well, now all of a sudden we're not getting the same antibody response we would to that vaccine as we would if we had proper trace minerals. And so then when we get to, to reproduction, well, now all of a sudden that cow is going to be more susceptible to some of those viruses such as BVD, IBR that, that are known to cause pregnancy loss. And we talked about the economics of, of what it is to, to get a cow back into calf. Well, if we get a cow into calf and she loses it, that becomes even more costly. And so here in the United States, the, the figures for getting cows into calf generally run in the one to $200 range. But once we get that cow pregnant, if we end up losing that calf later on during that pregnancy, all of a sudden those figures start to jump into the thousands. And that's because that not only have we uh, got the cost of getting that cow pregnant originally, but now because she has lost that calf, we may not be able to get her pregnant again. And so there's the cost of a, a replacement on there. There's the lost cost of production. And so it really starts to, to jump up quickly to where we need to make sure that all of these systems are functioning appropriately. And as Patrick said, you know, one of the things that we, we struggle with is, is absorption and antagonism. So just because we get those minerals into the cow, uh, into her, into her digestive system, talking about another system there, it doesn't mean that we're able to get it absorbed into the circulatory system. And so some of these trace minerals, such as manganese, we're only going to get maybe 1% of what's eaten absorbed through the small intestine. With copper, we're doing good to get about 5% absorbed into the small intestine. But that's if we can get those trace minerals through the rumen where a lot of that antagonism takes place, which, which Patrick uh, mentioned there. And so I like to think of our rumen as a, as a giant dance hall where we all go to, to the dance. And these minerals, they're not going by themselves. They're going with their, their partner in the form of a salt. And so they're taking their date into that, that dance hall. And once we get them there, they're going to start to see some other friends. They're going to break apart depending on what the pH level is, what the, the moisture content, forage content of that rumen. All of that has an impact on how well these, these salts break apart. They, they leave their dates. Well, hopefully, they're going to meet back up with their dates and go down to the small intestine where they can be absorbed. But every once in a while, you've got somebody that's a little bit cuter, a little bit better talker that those uh, minerals like to join up with. And so that's our sulfur. That's our, our molybdenum. That's our iron calcium, all of those things can start to antagonize each other to where now we're not leaving the room and with who we came in with, we're leaving with somebody else. And sometimes those new dates, they don't like to, to let them go quite as easily. And so one of the things that we deal with over here where I'm at, we're, we're just a couple hundred miles away from a, a giant national park that's known for sulfur, Yellowstone. And so we deal with a lot of sulfur here. Sulfur is known to, to be a major antagonist of a lot of our trace minerals, copper with, with selenium. Uh, having even just a, a 0.3 to 0.4% of that, that ration having sulfur can have a major impact on our, on our uh, ability to absorb those trace minerals. So not only are we dealing with the, the sulfur coming through naturally in the feed, but then the way that we manage some of these cows in that close-up period, trying to, to avoid milk fever, we're feeding a, a negative decad diet. Well, one of the major anions in that system is sulfur. And so we are intentionally feeding a trace mineral antagonist as a way to, to prevent milk fever. And so, yes, we've got to do that. We've got to manage our, our cells uh, away from milk fever, but in so doing, 
a lot of times we're also managing ourselves right into some other issues that we have to be able to take place. And that's where the injectable can really play a, a role is because all of a sudden we, we don't have to worry about that cow eating. We don't have to worry about the, the intakes dropping by 30 to 40% in that close-up period. We don't, we're able to get it directly in and absorbed into the bloodstream. We don't have to worry about the absorption in the small intestine, that one to 5%, because it's being picked up directly into the bloodstream. And most importantly, we're avoiding the dance hall. If you don't want to lose your date at the dance hall, the best way to do it is not to go there. And so that's what we do with the injectable is we're simply going under the skin to where we're avoiding that antagonism that's taking place in the rumen to where the animal has a, a much higher likelihood of being able to utilize those trace minerals instead of having them be lost out in the, the back end as fertilizer. Very good analogy. By far is laughing the, away here at the, the best hall. description of antagonism <laughs> I have ever heard. It's like Tinder for minerals. That is <laughs> that, that's very right. good. Yeah. We'll see um, what the Tinder profile is for these trace minerals, right, Patrick? Yeah. <laughs> gonna swipe right, swipe yeah, left. The old molybdenum is very cute for copper. They can't resist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I always joke that sulfur is the homecoming queen that's going to prom without a date that everybody wants to hook up with. <laughs> that's incredible. With sulfur. Uh, with sulfur. And would I be right, Patrick, in saying that a lot of um, Irish farms would spread like fertilizer with sulfur? Yeah, you know, you, you'll have sulfur in it is one point, but you'll have some uh, some crops getting planted uh, with molybdenum actually added to help with the germination of the crop. So if you have uh, a system where you were using a field for molybdenum or for sorry, you're using a field for a crop for one year and then you're rotating it as a pasture another year, well, you've kind of primed it to be more of an antagonizing soil. Uh, and so you're adding sulfur as well as a fertilizer. But from an Irish point of view, you'll see mineral licks and mineral blocks being put out. And a lot of times they'll have a lot of molasses added to them for palatability, uh, which is a very good idea because you want to get minerals in. But, you know, the problem is molasses is in itself very, very high in sulfur. So Craig mentioned that 2.5 or 3% threshold. If you go above that, Yes, you're increasing the palatability and you're increasing the sweetness and the cattle are more inclined to, lip, to lick the block. But if there's other mineral or sorry, if there's other sulfur already out on pasture from your fertilizer, it's all adding up. The whole idea is not just you're, you're not just getting minerals from one source. You're getting them from lots of different ones. Like I remember talking to um, a, a colleague in the US in Colorado and he was having a massive problem on a herd that had never had fertility issues. Uh, was all of a sudden getting real problems, getting cattle back in calf. And when they tested the cattle for liver samples, they found very, very high levels of molybdenum. And it was never an issue on the farm before. But what had happened was a mine in the mountains that had been closed and they diverted the water uh, going to this farm upstream, unbeknownst to the farmer. And as a result, the water was now traveling through this mine and it was picking up a lot of minerals that it didn't previously have. So all of a sudden, this this naive pasture was getting dumped with a huge amount of molybdenum. So it was completely changing the profile of the minerals on that farm. And thus, the knock on effect was the trouble with the cattle. And similarly, from the same example, all of a sudden they were getting a huge high level of of uh, sulfur as well so i think when you're doing these kind of mineral investigations we did we did a a, a webinar last year with a group of vets and uh, one of the key points we talked about 
was actually looking at the water as well as the forage, because the key is these mineral issues and problems of breeding of cattle, they can come from, the minerals can come from different sources. So it's one to kind of, if you're investigating these, these fertility problems on a herd, or you're trying to, you're trying to improve performance, you got to take, you know, the 365 degree view and rule everything out before you can start ruling things in. So Craig, you, you actually were doing that pod or that uh, webinar was myself, you and Dr. Jerry Roosh. Um, any thoughts on investigations on that one? Yeah. So not only is it important to look at the, the forage and the water sample when we're looking at minerals there, but also looking at the, the cow herself. And so taking liver biopsies to be able to, to see exactly where that is. So just like what Patrick mentioned with the, the case in Colorado and the molybdenum. And so it, it wasn't until they got those liver samples that they were able to, to know where to even look and begin to look because uh, the, the cow, so that feed is telling us what's going into it, but the, the liver sample is really telling us what the cow is actually getting out of it. And so I had a, was a farmer one time here in, in the United States as I was talking about liver biopsies and we've, you know, emphasize and talk about the, the price of fertilizer. Well, a lot of, a lot of farmers aren't going to just go and put fertilizer on their, on their uh, field without taking some sort of soil sample to be able to see exactly where that field is as far as the nutrients go. And this farmer told me, he's all, well, I'm not going to put fertilizer on without taking a soil sample. He's all, that liver biopsy basically becomes the soil sample for, for my mineral pack. And I thought that was a great, great way of looking at it to be able to know exactly where those cows are. One thing to keep in mind too, is that a lot of times we think, well, if we're high in these antagonists, we can just go ahead and increase the, the minerals that we, we need to be able to overcome that. And, and that's true to an extent, but we have to be careful because the, these minerals have a lot of interactions with one another. And so if we look and say, well, molybdenum's high, and so we're just going to go ahead and increase the amount of copper, well, that copper can now start to be an antagonist to zinc, where as we're trying to manage ourselves away from a, a copper deficiency, we can create a zinc deficiency. And so we have to be really careful about the approach that we're taking as we're trying to overcome these antagonists and recognize that, that it may be a, a thing, a, a matter as far as utilizing different forms of minerals instead of simply using sulfates or chlorides that we're putting some more organics in that we're, we're utilizing the injectable trace mineral to bypass that, that room and where the antagonism is going to take place. And to be able to make sure that we're still keeping that mineral pack balanced so that we're not creating secondary deficiencies because of the way that we're trying to balance that mineral pack. I think it's, it's, you, you talk about balance there. And one of the key things that it's kind of to get across to people, it's not a case of good minerals and bad minerals. Like molybdenum is actually needed for some enzyme processes. You know, your sulfur is needed to feed the rumen microbes. It's just about balance. You know, it's the right amount of, of, uh, of things all, yeah, all feeding in together, but at a balanced level, like you, you do see that with, especially not so much in Ireland, but definitely on, on farms or on TMR, like in the UK, where they go about solving a copper problem and then they completely knock out the balance of the cattle. So it's uh, it's one just to bear in mind. Like. So say we have viewer, um, listeners from the UK, Patrick, and they're mm. thinking, oh, you know, I have a TMR system, an indoor system versus a grassland management system you know you're just touching it there what are the main kind of variations with mineral supplement there well i suppose you have a lot more control in a tmr obviously and you is like craig has talked there he's mentioned a mineral pack a few times which is literally the what the, the 
the trace mineral package that you're putting in and you can set the different levels and he talked there about um sulfates and you can decide okay we're going to increase the organic minerals which are slightly more absorbable but much more expensive so you have a certain level of control meanwhile in ireland like we're going to be using mineral uh, like packs of loose minerals put on top of, of grass silage maybe and we're going to minerals in our in our dairy nuts but ultimately the bread and butter for the feeding of our cattle is going to be your grass um and from a trace mineral point of view there was work done by i think it was rogers in the 2000s and it found that like 60 percent of irish forages that were sampled were marginal or nearly subclinically deficient in zinc there was high levels of copper and selenium deficiency as well so if your if your forage or your grass is low in mineral or you know borderline low in minerals well if you're feeding that to cattle they're not going to be able to absorb all of that so in in a sense this is how you set up cattle for subclinical deficiency if if the feed is already subclinical and they're not absorbing enough so it's it's a slightly trickier system but again even if you're in the uk and you can feed this perfectly well formulated balanced ration there is the limitation of what the cattle can absorb and the increase in demand for minerals like we talked about plus an increase in loss of minerals so coming up to calving even if you're on a perfectly well formulated diet the limiting factor isn't the diet sometimes it's the cow so this is why you'll still see cattle on tmors on house systems that will have improved outcomes from mineral injections like the whole basis for multimin is the fact that we've done so much research um on the use of you know targeted injections at critical periods and the big one is the fact that all of our study work are has been done with cattle that are fed on tmr diets so we've kind of as much as possible taken that factor of nutrition out of the equation and we're just saying right the cattle are not able to metabolize the minerals for peak performance so if we inject them rather than putting everything into that dance hall, as Craig says, rather than putting everything, all of the minerals, we're relying on that rumen for peak performance. If we inject the minerals and we supply the cow directly into the circulatory system through mineral absorption, can we improve performance? And to be perfectly honest, the study data shows overwhelmingly that we really can affect cattle's performance by with this approach. Just, just to add on to that, as far as TMR, because that is what we're dealing with over here, is that to me, one of the biggest, I guess, hurdles that we have to overcome with the TMR is the, the variability from cow to cow. And so we were trying to balance these rations for the, the herd average. And there may be huge variation from one cow to the next, which, which drives our intakes. And so we may have one cow that's only, only going to be eating 25 to 30 pounds of, of dry matter a day. And another one that's going to be eating 40 or 45. And so there's going to be huge variation there that goes along with that. And then the other thing is that, you know, studies have shown that it can take anywhere from a month to six weeks to be able to build back up the trace mineral levels that are needed through the feed. And so even though we can make sure that with that TMR, hopefully we're, we're able to, to get the, the right intakes there, but it's still going to take time to be able to build that back up. And so a lot of times we don't have time to wait for, for our mineral levels to come back up. When we're trying to get through that transition period, we don't have a month, six weeks to be able to, to get that cow back where she needs mineral wise, to be able to, to help that uterus to recover, to be able to involute, to be able to fight whatever infection there is off and to be able to, to 
come through there so that by the time she hits that voluntary wait period, be able to, to start to try and get her back into cat that she's ready. The other thing is that when we're looking at trace minerals, these are going in in a very small amount. And so if we was to look at something like uh, potassium going into a, to say a 5,000 pound mix on a TMR, you're going to be looking at, at about 30 pounds of, of that potassium going in, which is going to equate to about 57 pounds of potassium chloride. Remember, they're taking a date to the party. So we've got to add a little bit extra weight there. Well, on the flip side, when we're looking at something like uh, copper, it's going to go in in less than an ounce in that 5,000 pound uh, mixture. And so we're looking at a couple of tablespoons of copper sulfate is all that's going in there. And so now we've got to think, okay, how much confidence do we have that that premix was was mixed up homogeneously enough where there's going to be that 15 parts per million of of copper spread throughout that 5,000 pounds so that every mouthful is going to have that when we're only looking at, at just a very small, basically handful of copper that's going to be going into that entire mix. And so these trace minerals are going in in such minute amounts that hopefully over time, yeah, we're getting the, the right amount sort of averaging out over time. But that is still one of the challenges that we have with the TMR is the homogeneity of that mixture going into the cows and that the cows are actually eating what the nutritionist balanced that ration for. Very good. Very interesting how, how, how little, yeah, that, that, you know, a couple of ounces, that's mad. Um, but Michelle, were you going to ask? I was just going to say, something could, burning? We go back, could we go back maybe to the, um, the economic implications of poor fertility? Because I think you both kind of briefly touched on it, but I think it's probably a really important thing to discuss um, with the current did we cover it enough? I don't feel like we did. I know we could, we could cover it again. Um, yeah. Well, on the economic side, you have a paper came out a few years ago, and they recommend that in systems in southern Europe, so closer to the U.S. way of, of running cattle, um, repeated services is costing farmers between. Uh, two hundred and five dollars, which today would be around one hundred and eighty-six euro per cow per year, if you're missing days and needing repeated inseminations. Uh, I mentioned that, like you know, you're having your open cows in an Irish system is about three euro per day, but if we're culling cattle right now, anyone will tell you the price of cattle is unbelievable. So if you're trying to buy a replacement heifer, you're averaging between fifteen hundred and seventeen hundred euro. Um, so if you're culling cattle for fertility, it's not the way we really want to go. Like in Ireland, we're getting about, I think between our average lactation is somewhere between four and five. So we're pretty good at keeping cattle in the herd. And again, our system is keeping the costs down. So if we can keep the cattle in the herd as long as possible, we're not paying for replacements. That's a, a, a really useful one as well. Plus, you know, you don't hit peak lactation correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not hitting peak lactation till third or fourth lactation with some of these, with the modern dairy cattle. So if you're having a cow culled after two lactations, it's, it's really not an efficient system because you're losing all this potential. But then again, if you're, if your bread and butter is getting cows back in calf, it's just not economical to keep cows that are slipping back and slipping back. So I don't know, Craig, like in Ireland, we've, we've really culled a lot of cattle that we've really strongly selected for fertility and it's paid dividends here. Are you seeing the same in the U S or? Yeah. And so even since I've been in, you know, out of school 
when I first came out, if we, if we had a herd that was in the, the 18 to 20%, 21 day preg rate, we felt like they were doing an excellent job. If we get them up into the 22 to 24, boy, they were really, really knocking it out of the park anymore. If we're that low, people are concerned. And so we've got a lot of herds that are in that 30 to 35% uh, 21 day preg rate, even going through hum- summer heat stress with sex semen. And so we've really been able to make drastic improvements on, on the reproductive efficiency of these cows by the way that we, we manage it, the way that we're, we're different heat detection methods. And so we've been able to, to make progress there. But like you say, the, the peak milk reaching that genetic potential still isn't going to occur until that third or fourth lactation. And so all of a sudden that, that economic impact of getting a younger animal pregnant can have a lot more, uh, a lot more hit on us than, than some of these older animals, because again, if we're only getting a cow to, to that, uh, first lactation, we're not able to get her back into calf. And so we're having to replace her. Well, she still hasn't even paid for, for herself to be able to, to be raised, to get into that first lactation. And so we've lost that money. We've lost that time of being able to, to raise her compared to an animal that would have been able to get pregnant. So there's a, a lot of, of hidden costs that a lot of times that we don't think about when we're looking at these animals. And so then like what you talked about, the, the cost of a day open. And so uh, like what you said in Ireland, it being about $3 and similar over here in the United States, a couple dollars per day. And so anytime we're, we're dragging that cow getting pregnant out past about 80 days, it's costing us money. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got to be able to figure out how to get that cow back into, into calf so that we can keep her towards that front end of that lactation curve. Because every couple of pounds higher on that peak, that creates a lot of extra space under that lactation curve, which, which equates to, to added dollars. And so like what we talked about, about the break even, if we're, if we're uh, dragging those cows out to where they're not getting pregnant and, and now all of a sudden they're drying off at, at 40 pounds of milk and they've been below that break even for a lot longer period that, that lactation, that's not that we're not just making money, but we're actually losing money because it's still costing us money to feed that cow there and not keeping her keeping her productive and so there's a lot of costs there that that we've got to take into account when we're looking at the the reproductive economics uh, surrounding this situation yeah and there was that like what your your breeding system your breeding system this year your breeding season this year is how you're going to milk next year or how you're setting up your herd for the future years and correct me if i'm wrong but was that mark or m-a-r-k m-a-r-c study that if for law cattle longevity so if you had cows calving down in that uh six week window in that peak window of fertility they're 84 percent more likely to stay in your herd longer well i might be misquoting that but basically they're the cattle that you you want to keep so if you are supplementing and you're tightening up that bracket and you're you're, you're really moving the cattle into that back into that window of fertility and you're setting yourself up for kind of an almost successive years of success in fertility. Am, am I quoting that paper right, Craig? Do you think? Yes. And so that was done on, on beef cows over here in the United States. Mm. And the beef system over here is, is a pastoral based seasonal calving system to where we are. We're encouraging guys to be done calving within about a 60 day window, much like what you're encouraging dairies over there. But when we start to look at that, if we can select those, those replacement heifers out of that group of cows that, that calved in that first 21 days, now all of a sudden they're going to stay in this herd longer simply because when it comes time to breed them, they're older animals. They've had a, a much higher likelihood of being able to have already hit P1 
puberty to where they're cycling. Yeah. They've already had a, a couple cycles before we we're trying to get them bred because they're older animals. When we breed them, they're bigger animals. So when it comes time to calve, again, they're bigger. So there's less risk of having dystocia on those animals because they've got a bigger frame there that they're able to, to have those calves easier. We all know the impact of, of dystocia on, on fertility, mm. not, not only are they bigger there when they calve, but because they are bigger, as soon as they calve, now all of a sudden we're asking them to start milking. Well, those heifers still have to grow, but because we're already ahead of the growth curve there, we don't have to divert as many calories away from, from milk production into growth because the animal's already there. Well, reproduction comes way down low on the totem pole as far as, as, far as energy to, uh, partitioning. And so we've got to have calories there for growth. We've got to have calories there for, for milk production. And then finally, we get the, the calories there for reproduction. Well, we've been able to have that calf grow more younger because it was older when it got bred. It was bigger when it got uh, had that first calf. Now we still have energy left over from those those other requirements of, of growth and, and now milk production to still have calories there to be able to have her cycle back where we don't have that big drop off on what we call the sophomore slump, getting that that animal back for second lactation because she didn't have the energy to be able to, yeah. to do all those other requirements. But literally everything you've described there from that study in dairy or in beef cattle, I know it's beef, but it applies so perfectly applies to the system. Well, that, but, but it applies so, so well to the dairy system here in Ireland because all of the farmers and vets will know Chagas. We're always telling our farmers that calve your heifers first, get the heifers exactly. calved for that reason because then when they come into the sophomore year as you're talking or you know our second lactation as we'd say in this side of the pond you know they're just in they're an older cow so they're just set up better for success because they're a little bit older they're a little bit hardier they're just more developed um and like all of the points you're making about calories it's the same for trace minerals they're just they're they're better set up for success so patrick as a practical just to come to an end of the podcast just as a practical thing now for for vets and farmers out there that might be listening um the use of the injectable trace mineral three weeks ideally before breeding is that 30 days 30 days in the pre-calving window is is perfect if you're running your cattle with a bull because you're just setting them up for uh, hopefully a successful cycle um, if you're using synchronization or uh, prids or whatever method you're going with uh, you can supplement the cattle at the start of your synchronization again because you're getting, setting the cattle up with the minerals and with the enzymes they need for for peak fertility um, we have a very interesting paper came out last year uh, from mexico again a little bit of a different farming system but we found that cattle supplemented in that pre-calving window in one of the trials in the study got back in calf around 14 days sooner than control cattle from the same study. Um, in the other part of that paper, the cattle were supplemented pre-calving. And again, we found a reduction between the calving to conception interval. So, you know, this supplementation strategy in Ireland, everyone talks about the pre-breeding period and getting your cattle back in calf quickly. And mm-hmm. we've a lot of research to show we're not just getting more cows in calf. We really are tightening up that calving to conception interval and making sure we're having as much success we can on that, on that first uh, service. So hopefully uh, vets and farmers uh, who are listening, if they want to find out more, they can check out www.multimin.eu. Um, we've all the information there. 
or if they want to reach out to myself or Craig, they can find me at sales at multimin.eu as my email. So I can send them whatever peer reviewed studies they want or any further information. One thing to add there too, uh, Patrick mentioned bulls. Don't forget our bulls. We've uh, spent a lot of time during this podcast talking about the importance of trace mineral in these cows, but that bull has a, he's half of the fertility there on that cow. And so we're asking him to do a lot. We're asking him to cover a lot of cows, get a lot of cows pregnant in a very short amount of time. And that semen production requires a lot of trace minerals as well. So don't forget supplementing those bulls with the trace minerals they need. So they're shooting good bullets. Good point, Craig. Yeah. Don't forget the boys. Good stuff. (laughs) Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, um, Craig, for joining us all the way from um, Idaho in the US. And thank you, Patrick. I'm sure you're probably in Wicklow, maybe. Not in the very exotic, very tropical, sunny southeast of Wicklow. Oh, beautiful. Um, and thank you. I think it's going to, I've learned a lot from today's podcast. I suppose it's an area of interest of mine, but I do think it's interesting. I know, Michelle, you always find it interesting doing these it's mineral podcasts as well. <laughs> Um, I was like, there's look, so much <laughs> there's so much I know I know and it is one of I think it's one of those things you just generally have to re- refresh every year um when you are going into the different you know either pre-calving or pre-breeding and I think these podcasts are going to be a great asset um to people just to refresh um their knowledge so thank you again Patrick and thank you Craig for joining us and it's a pleasure thanks for having Appreciate us. the opportunity to be here thank you Don't forget to check us out on social media and tag us whilst you're listening to the podcasts. We'd love to see it.